Episode 20, Shadow Dog. Don't talk, just listen. Establish that, firstly. Yet the child had looked at the skinny, cowering pup, fur black as midnight, and ribs protruding out of her sides with such stark clarity that you could have played her bones like a xylophone. Vicky had taken one look at the dog and immediately dubbed it Lassie Dog. In the two years since the pup's discovery, its size had more than quadrupled, yet its name had undergone a proportional shrink, first to Lassie, then to Lass, until now it was referred to largely as Lala. Lala was, to put it blunt, fucking mean looking. Vicky's mother and father supposed she must be a mutt. Neither could begin to guess just what had mixed with what, to create something that was so big, yet moved so quick, something that stepped so soft as a shadow crossing new fallen snow, yet possessed such cruel fangs and heavy jowls. The pup had developed an immediate fondness for the girl, cuddling up to her belly and looking at the spaces between her fingers. It is likely that those pudgy fingers gentle across the dog's hide was the first kindly thing the dog had ever known. Lala loved the girl for that. She, the dog, at once began to follow her, the girl, happily darting at the child's heels even as Vicky's mother and father shuttled her from place to place in the early days after the city's fall. At first, Neither parent had had any desire to add a young dog to their list of burdens, and discussions had been undertaken with regards to what to do about the damn dog. But about a week after the dog began to follow the family around, mother and father awoke to a commotion. At first glance, it appeared that the dog had crept up to where the family was sleeping, only to sink its teeth into the flesh of Vicky's face. Yet, as the parents leapt to tear the dog away, it was the flesh that tore, spilling blood that glowed green and stank of spoiled eggs. It was then they saw the thing in the dog's teeth. It was no bigger than a rat, and in place of a mouth, it had a set of mandibles, which parted to reveal a razor-lined slit. The dog bit down, once, hard, and the thing spasmed, then stopped. 
from that day on, the family went nowhere without the dog until the day of the shadow. For a time, the family moved from place to place in the city beneath the black sun, having no fixed home. Vicky hung from a pouch against her mother's back, while Lala trotted just behind. What led to the family going to ground was the discovery that Vicky's mother was pregnant. Whispered conversations again took place, which Vicky heard all the same, words that she didn't understand like terminate, peppered the dialogue. Rumors had been spreading throughout the city that the St. Peter's Hospital had been reopened and a nascent community begun to bloom. Vicky's parents had been unsure, given the propensity for danger among large groups. But the pain was great, the worry desperate. That was two years ago. And because the family had arrived at St. Peter's when it was barely yet more than an idea, they enjoyed a larger room than many others. Vicky's mother gave birth to another daughter who she named Maisie. Maisie clung and bit and screeched and Vicky loved her very much. Vicky's father and mother did odds and ends around the hospital earning their keep. Sometimes, the job was only so odd as changing some light bulbs that had flickered out, or scrounging up gasoline for Priya Patel's ambulance. But sometimes, the job involved ends that were messier. The midnight desert that surrounded the city never seemed to run out of new freaks and beasts, and these threats needed to be contained. A careful approach was usually recommended and supervised by the misters Mayhew and Oakes. But Oakes had disappeared and Mayhew remained in Catatonia. Perhaps it was this which caused the tremendous feeling of foreboding in Vicky's mother's heart. Or perhaps it was the near constant absence of Priya Patel as she avoided her responsibilities and instead scoured the city for some sign of the woman Cassandra. Or perhaps it was the recent unpleasantness with Veronica Cleary. There was, it seemed to Vicky's mother, a sense that the center was folding. The wheels were coming off. Perhaps this fear was irrational. 
but irrational feelings are just as deeply felt. So on the day of the shadow, when Vicky's father received the call in Milwaukee that some kind of wraith had been spotted in the area, Vicky's mother insisted he take the dog. Vicky's father was halfway out the door, his bike chain wrapped bat slung on her shoulder. Is that really necessary? he asked. Yes, she replied, in a voice that informed him that the one word was all he would get or need. Okay, okay, he said. Come on, Lala. The dog had been lying on her side, near where the sisters sat passing a ball back and forth. She raised her head and gave the canine equivalent of a quizzical look. The father slapped his leg and whistled. Lala stood, stretched, and ambled over. Vicky's father gave Vicky's mother a peck on the cheek and was off. Life was on rails now. There could be no deviation from what happened next. Behind man and dog, the door closed and fate sealed. Five men and a dog went out to meet the wraith. Only the dog came back. Vicky's mother was beside herself. She was horrified by the disappearance, by the lack of a backup plan, by the odd stains that now lined Lala's black coat. Others in St. Peter's offered her comfort, or at least tried to. But Vicky's mother recoiled into herself. She had always feared something like this might happen. She had always known that big groups attracted big trouble. So she took her girls and she fled back to her quarters, the dog following along. But when they reached their habitation, Vicky's mother turned on Lala, screaming at the canine and refusing her entry. Vicky began to cry, which made Maisie cry, which only made Vicky cry even harder. Lala whimpered, put off by the screams, disturbed by the tears, confused at being barred from her home. She made to go around the woman. Vicky's mother 
brought the full weight of her foot into Lala's midsection. The dog yelped in hurt and surprise. Moaning, she again attempted to go home. Through tears, Vicky's mother kicked, and then again, and then again, and then again. The dog limped away. The girls shrieked and sobbed, and once more, a door closed. justice to the shock of it. His hair had gone all white. His eyes were sunken. His skin sallow. His lips worked wordlessly. The doctors wanted to keep him and run tests, quarantine him. She would hear none of it. They had sent him to his death, and now that miracle had restored him, they wished to take him away? No. No way. She wrapped the blanket round his shoulders and led him away. The assembled doctors and staff, useless against her desperate, mad certainty. Had they kept him under observation, they might have noticed how his shadow did not move in time with him. She took him back to their quarters and bolted the door. Tomorrow they would flee, she decided. Grab the girls, what gear they needed, and strike out. She guided him to his chair and sat him down, not noticing that his shadow remained where it was, just on the inside of the door. She went to the other room and checked on the girls. They slept with their arms around one another. Vicky had cried herself to sleep. She'll get over it, Vicky's mother thought. This world is cruel and it has no place for caring. She closed the door and turned back to her husband. The chair was empty. She rushed to it, looked around the room in a daze. Could he be hiding? There was nowhere to hide. She turned back to the chair, wondering if some trick of exhaustion had blinded her to his presence. There was no man. In his place, she now saw, was an unattached shadow. 
a shadow that, as she watched, shifted. She fell back. The shadow followed, spilling out of the chair like ink. But while it flowed like liquid, the shadow hung in the air, obeying no law but its own will. She clawed her way backwards as the shadow followed. It took its time, a mocking kind of patience. Her back struck a cabinet, hot pain suddenly stabbing into her shoulder. Then she was up, seizing whatever pictures or trinkets had come to rest on that cabinet. She flung them all, not once bothering to look at whatever she sacrificed for a fool's hope of safety. The shadow swallowed and expanded. And as she watched, it deepened, the snake-like trail becoming a slit, and then a tunnel, and then an open rift in the fabric of the world. Something stirred within. She heard her husband's voice. From the dark, a thing white as bone extended a clawed hand out to her. It smiled, revealing razors. She turned to run, or to grab something to throw, or to do something else entirely, but it did not matter. For a while she had been focused on this one shadow, others had grown up the walls of the family's living quarters. Each of the shadows had their own occupant. They were each of them smiling. Vicky felt a hand on her leg and pulled it away. She did not want to see Mama right now. She did not want to be told that everything would be all right. She did not want to be bribed into feeling better. The hand replaced itself on her leg. Mama's hand felt awfully cold. Vicky turned over. The hand was over her mouth before she had time to scream. The dog began to cry. Sanjit and his wife Bajoya could only watch as the animal they had agreed to take in stood staring at the wall of their room, whining and crying. They brought her food, they brought her toys. They tried in every way they could think to entice her towards some other part of their home. But Lala would have none of it.
She stood stock still, braced on all four legs, as if expecting any moment for the wall to part. Do you think she somehow knows the family's missing? Asked one half of the couple. Don't be ridiculous, the other half replied. She's just a dog. At last they gave up on trying to sway Lala away and went about their lives. The day moved. The dog did not. The shadows grew. Sanjit and Majoya gave the dog a last pet, exchanged looks, and then retired to their bed. Midnight struck and passed, and still the dog did not move. It grew later still, leaving behind evening and twilight, and becoming that blackest moment of nightfall, when dawn seems impossibly far away, and the madness that sleeps within the world shakes itself awake and goes for a romp. It grew so dark that the dog's fur became intertwined with the night, leaving only her glittering golden eyes adrift in the room. Lala closed her eyes, and then she began to walk. By rights, she should have bumped headlong into the wall after only a couple steps, but the wall was not there anymore. The dog walked deeper into shadow. Had she opened her eyes, she would have seen how the walls of the shadow roiled and fell, a waterfall made of tar. Had she opened her eyes, she might have seen the palpitations in the shadow, how different shades pulsed and quaked but her eyes were firmly shut. Perhaps that's why the wraith thought she would be easy prey. Lala heard the gentle rush of air as a gap opened in the world behind her. She smelt the dry, acrid wrongness of the wraith as it slithered out and began to follow. She did not break her stride, not even as the wraith drew alongside her. Not when its claws ran just above her fur. Not when it sighed a wet, hungry sound and began to drool. The wraith leaned in close. And that is when Lala struck. She pounced on the pale thing, white teeth brilliant against the all-encompassing darkness. The wraith tried to shriek, but could not force the sound past the vice of fangs around and inside its throat. Lala sank her teeth in just that last little bit deeper. And then she ripped. Not once, in the entirety of that ordeal had she opened her eyes. 
she moved on, leaving the wraith in the dark. She came at last to their chamber. The air stank of their kind, but there was another odor beneath the stink. It was the smell of sugar and of sweat, a smell that conjured for Lala the memory of warm hands against her belly or on her ears. It was the smell of skin and fur meshing side by side during the long nights as the dog pressed against the girl, and the girl against the dog. She was here. Lala all but ran into the chamber, bearing teeth still aglow with blood, still lined with meaty remnants of flesh. The wraiths cowered. The family was each bound to their own stone table. One sniff at the table holding Vicky's father told her that the man was dead. The fragrance of his split gut drawn pangs of dull hunger from the dog's belly. She nosed her way to the next table over. A small hand hung over the edge, and Lala at once began to nuzzle and lick it. A giggle in the dark. Lala leapt onto the table and bit hard into the skin of the thing that held Vicky down. It screamed and fled. Lala jumped down from the table and began to bark and whine. Slowly, too slowly, the girl rose and half climbed, half fell down from the altar. She was dazed and mostly blind and across her skin were pox from where the binding had set its teeth. But still she knew her lala. The girl pressed against the dog, and the dog against the girl. A cry from the wraiths broke the pair apart. Vicky held fast to the dog's fur as lala went to the third table. She made short work of the binding and soon jumped down, now with Maisie held firm in her teeth. Dog and girls began to leave, a strange sort of parade in the shadow realm. And then a voice called, Wait! Come back! Lala! Here, girl! Lala stopped and turned. For the first time, she opened her eyes so that she could make direct eye contact with Vicky's mother. That's it! Here, girl! Lala wagged her tail 
once, closed her eyes, and walked on. The wraiths, apparently not wanting to risk any more interference in their meal, put a fast end to the screams. At seven o'clock the next morning, Sanjit and Majoya left their bedroom only to discover that in the middle of the living room there was curled a dog with two sleeping girls against her. The couple looked at the sleepers, then at each other, and then at the dog. Lala stared back, golden eyes glowing with who knows what thoughts. And then she yawned and licked her lips and then she too began to sleep. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for another new episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. As always, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, which you can hit up at xlvacx.com. Again, that's xlvacx.com. And as always, we want to uh, thank all of our Patreon sponsors and recommend that if you like Cinepunks programming, whether it's their show or things like the Cinepunks Podcast, Loud Fast Philly, horror business, the mandate, or any of our other programs or writing, uh, you can contribute to our Patreon too. Uh, we're always very, very grateful. We may not show it, but we do, we, do, we do show it. We give you guys lots of cool stuff, so give us money. You don't have to, but we do. We like having money. It's fun for stuff. Uh, if you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, it really helps get the word out to other people to have a good ring on iTunes uh, with some good reviews. Uh, I'm sure I'm very tired. <laughs> I'm very tired and I have a cold. Uh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, if you uh, can, it would be really great. Uh, and spread the word any way you can uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Um, Friendster's not a thing anymore, I don't think. I never had Friendster. Uh, and now it's gone. But yeah, please help spread the word. Uh, Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. Uh, the music was Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so we are rapidly approaching the end of the first season of Blacks and Dispatches. Uh, yeah, we're doing seasons. Bet you didn't see that coming. Or maybe you did. In which case, you know, congratulations. I'll give you a prize. Uh, so we'll be back on March 12th with the next episode. Uh, we've got some really, really cool stuff uh, planned for you guys as we approach, like I said, the end of the first season of Blacks and Dispatches. Uh, hope you've all enjoyed the episodes before this one. Hope you enjoy this one. And I hope you will join us again on March 12th when a brand new episode uh, comes your way. Thanks, everybody.